0: Well, if you've uh, just joined us uh, today, we're, uh, we're in a, just a bit of a mini-series uh, uh, called uh, That's a Stretch. And uh, we've talked about worship, and last week uh, Pastor Norm talked about community, and this morning, apprenticing, apprenticing, or we could use the term discipleship. Perhaps they're the same. Apprenticing, discipleship. And the reason why I'm a little bit hesitant to use the word discipleship, although it's a very good word, is is that maybe we won't hear it because we've always heard it, because we've always said, Oh, I know that word. That's a standard church word. We use that all the time. So the word may be overused, but I expect that the word is underapplied. Did you know that the word Christian uh, is only used three times in the whole Bible? I mean, we use the word all the time, but it's only actually mentioned three times in the New Testament. Acts chapter 11, verse 26, says it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. In Acts uh, 26, 28, Agrippa interrupted him and said, Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, "...but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by His name." And that's the extent uh, of the word Christian in the Bible. But the word disciple or disciples is used many, many times, hundreds of times in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus never used the word Christian but he used the word disciple often. It's even likely that the term Christian was used by Antioch's general population as a derogatory name for the followers of Jesus. Oh, those Christians over there, those those nasty Christians. The title of Christians was given because this group of Jews and Gentiles were followers of Jesus, whom they believed to be the Christos, meaning the anointed one or the Messiah or the Christ. And so these were the followers of Christ, the Christians. And so they got the name Christians. Now I don't know how you viewed discipleship. Uh, I know that it's not always understood uh, the way Jesus meant it to be understood. Some of you might think, well, a disciple is um, uh, awkwardly said. I know up a notch or two from the ordinary Christian. Or maybe just say a first-class Christian. Uh, Others people might say, oh you're a disciple. That means you've been through a course or two or you've taken a discipleship course and you're now a disciple. Or perhaps that might mean you get up real early in the morning and you go out to Tim Hortons and you have a cup of coffee and lots of discussion with somebody or a couple of people and that marks you as a disciple. Interesting how we might perceive the word disciple. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? A young woman was asked, what do you do? She said, what, I don't, what do you do? She said, like, what do I do for a living? Yeah, what do you do for a living? She said, well, <laughs> I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, very skillfully disguised as a business administrator at the university really? I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, very skillfully disguised as a business administrator at the university. I thought about that. I gotta love it because it reminds me that disciples are not professionals in the world of theology and Bible and seminary. They are the people, they are the they are the people of life who integrate into our world as scientists and carpenters and mechanics and the financial world and teachers and and lawyers and moms and dads and students and you name it, they have come to understand who they are, what their mission is, and that they are disciples of Jesus Christ, very carefully, skillfully disguised in whatever they do, at home, at work, play, wherever that might be. Now, I don't mean to to be negative here or just using the word disguised like it's some undercover operation. No, I didn't mean that. But I mean integrated. Integrated. They are skillfully integrated in their faith into who they are, where they work, where they live. They're integrated. Now, this is a simple reminder that wherever God has placed us in a job we love, I said to somebody this week, I don't think I've ever worked in my life. I I feel like I've never worked because it's a job I love. I, I never feel like I'm working. But some of you may feel like you're in a job. It's very demanding. It's very hard work and you can hardly wait till the end of the time comes when you're finished. But, But in a job that we love, in a job that we don't love, riding umbrella over the situation is first and foremost the fact that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And even where we work, or even where we study, or we research, or we build teams, or we're part of a team, we are first His disciples, and in that context, we give our best to our jobs. And in that context, we give our best to our jobs. Kind of cool, I think. Now, may I just say this about Jesus? He was the brightest spot on the planet. He was the bright spot of one who modeled disciple-making and apprenticing. He, so to speak, put all the marbles in one container. He put all the chips in one basket for the extension of what he was trying to tell us while he was on this earth. I mean, it's amazing. Would you, would you have ever thought to do it the way Jesus did it? Would, wouldn't you have seen that being a risk? Hilmar being in the financial investment. You would put all your money in the equities over really on the extreme side over here. Really? You wouldn't balance your portfolio? You would put it all over here? Wouldn't that be a huge risk? And yet, that's the way that Jesus went about discipleship. The first thing he did in his public ministry was to go out and gather disciples, and the last thing he did in his public ministry was gather those same disciples and say, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. He started with discipling, and he finished with discipling. Wow. He started with discipling, he put all the marbles into that basket, and he finished with discipling and he gave us a pathway to follow and while it's so simple it seems to be a pathway that we're resistant to or we struggle with and I'm talking globally here I'm talking about us as well I'm talking about me have you ever seen a church really grab hold of this truth that Jesus taught about disciple making The the assumption is that we can be Christians forever and never become disciples. Can I say that again? The, The assumption is that we can be Christians forever and never really become disciples. Jesus told us explicitly what to do. He told us as disciples to make disciples. So come with me to Matthew 28 this morning. Uh, you've often heard this passage referred to as the Great Commission. The late Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Great Omission. It's a collection of his essays on the subject of discipleship. But his point is that what is missing for so many of us in the Great Commission is our obedience to disciple-making. So he calls it the Great Omission, found in the context of the Great Commission. And I'd like you to see the major action word. Uh, Verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, the 28th chapter of Matthew brings us to the final words of Jesus before he leaves this planet to go back to the Father. And what do you say if you've got just a little bit of time to say what's on your heart before you have to leave this earth? Sometimes people don't get a chance to say what they've got on their heart to say. But the Lord had had a chance to say to his men what he wanted to say. And he gave a final challenge to the men he had discipled. And it's a challenge to carry on. And we would want to say that, I'm sure, to our friends and family if we were leaving if we knew we only had a short time, we would want to say, but just carry on. Just carry on and do the things that you're doing so well. My mom had that expression. Uh, carry on. And she 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 didn't always mean keep going. Sometimes uh, what she meant was, well, I'll just keep carrying on with the story, Ken. I mean, you're making it up as you go along. So she would just say, carry on, just carry on. And it was just... Her way of cutting through the ice to say I know what you're up to you're just you're just telling me a big story so carry on but sometimes it means to just keep going just just keep going you're running well but don't stop don't get bogged down just keep going and that in in essence is what Jesus was saying isn't it interesting how verses 16 and 17 remind us of our own struggles Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee. I mean, this is 40 days after the resurrection. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But look at this. Some of them doubted. I kind of like that Matthew included that. Some of them doubted because it brings reality to our journey in the moments before Jesus left us some worshipped and some doubted and that's understandable a lot of things were strange and mysterious to these men right up to the end so I'm sure they wondered how does all this fit together how does all of this work so I want to say to you today if you've got some struggles you're in good company even his disciples some of them doubted some of them couldn't put all the pieces together But you know, as you read the next section, there is one major action word. Everything else supplements the action word. The, The major word is to make disciples. To make disciples. Actually, it seems to be best translated, as you are going along, make disciples. I mean, in the regular living out of life, make disciples. So as you get up in the morning and you're heading out the door and as you have the things to do whether where you teach or where you work or wherever, remember make disciples. Make disciples. Now to do that you need to go. You need to go to all the nations. You need to go to all the neighborhoods. You need to go to all the communities. You need to go to the adjacent communities here in southwest Edmonton. That's part of it. And that's our heart. That's a big reason for this for the new initiative this fall, is to keep going, is to, to not stop, to carry on, to do the work of making disciples in all of these communities, and to do that right here at home, right at TCC, and in this community that, in which we live. And Jesus says you also need to baptize. As, as people come to understand who Jesus is, you need to baptize. And if you're here this morning and you've committed your life to Christ, one of the very next steps is baptism. It's public. It means it's declarative. It means I belong to Him. It means I'm going public. I don't hide. I don't keep it a secret. I'm a follower. And Jesus said that's the mission of the church, to baptize. You need to baptize. And that's the first step on the discipleship road, uh, is to be baptized, And then you need to teach. Teaching is important in all different contexts. We have a lot of uh, small groups. We have a lot of home groups. We hope to have more after this fall. We want to keep growing in our home group ministries. And leaders of home groups, can I say something to you for just a moment? You're an important piece in the teaching. It doesn't have to be lecture. probably shouldn't be lecture with one person doing all of the talking but small groups have a very important component called teaching and an important part is is to is to be praying together and having community together but there's a teaching component that's so important for the discipleship process but the major emphasis of his final word to his church is to make disciples make disciples and the question is are you making disciples Oh, I'm going. I'm sharing my faith. I'm I'm involved in all these things. But are you making disciples? I've been involved in community outreach, I've been involved in small groups. But yes, are you making disciples? Uh, I'm preaching, I'm teaching. Yes, Ken, but are you making disciples? I don't mean to be abrupt. I just want us to hear the major action word. And it's from Jesus. Make disciples. Why is it so challenging? I, I'm deeply challenged by it. Because making disciples requires such personal involvement. It's, it's putting yourself out there. You, think, you see, I think many people live under the assumption that Jesus held mass crusades so that thousands and thousands of people came to follow him and maybe that was his method of carrying on the work. Mass crusades. But it wasn't. That wasn't his approach. His time was spent with a handful of 11 or 12 men pouring into their lives. And let's look at how he we went about that. The, sec- the major example is Jesus. Jesus. So move forward with me just a few moment, uh, pages in your Bible, uh, and you'll come to Mark chapter 3, and you'll come right down to the 13th verse. And this gives us the picture of where it all started. Hey, here's the model. Here's the major example of discipleship. Here's the model just starting to unfold. It's the beginning of the disciple-making process. It's, it's the making disciple modeled by Jesus. And it says afterwards Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him and they came to him and then he appointed 12 of them and called them his, his apostles. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach giving them authority to cast out demons. And then if you follow it, it, it lists the 12 that he chose. And you have these lists of men that he called to himself. Simon, James, and John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Judas. And look back at verses 7 and 8 of the same chapter, and you will see that there were crowds seeking Christ, and, and the crowds became so large that Jesus was in danger of being crushed by them. So Jesus is going to select a group of men who will share the workload, and then he'll continue the work after he's gone. Never really thought about this, but it's a succession plan. It's a succession plan. He put in place a succession plan. Wow. Another context will remind us that he spent much time in prayer asking the Father that he would give him, that he would be given the right men into whom he could pour his life. And as you think about who you would pour your life into, one or two people. Maybe just ask God, Lord, who is it that I could pour my life into? Help me to know because I need your wisdom in this. I need the right person. I need to be effective with my time. So I appreciate what Pastor Ed is doing in the high school ministry. It's a a first start to a a mentoring ministry. Carefully chosen adults coming alongside our students. That's discipleship. I mean, you have no idea of the impact of this kind of ministry over the years. So just thank God for this kind of discipleship ministry and pray for the journey of making disciples. Jesus showed great care in selecting his men by going away to spend the entire night alone to talk through each choice with his heavenly Father. And after he's prayed, there is no question when he picks them that he wants them <laughs> and they're not impressive men I mean by certain standards they we might hold up today they weren't professionals they weren't educated they weren't wealthy they weren't of the elite class not at all they were your everyday common blue-collar working guys and remember what Paul said about our calling and it's a good reminder. 1 Corinthians 1.26 Remember dear brothers and sisters that few of you were wise in the world's eyes are powerful are wealthy when God called you. Instead God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. So he doesn't need the elite. These were a ragtag bunch of guys but Jesus wanted them and he summoned them and he selected them and he called them out Peter over here John over here I need you Andrew over here Judas over-, Judas over here he called them out and look at what it says he appointed twelve of them and he called them his apostles they were to accompany him and he would Send them out to preach. So there was a selection process. And then there was an appointment process. And then there was an association, which we will call involvement with Christ, companionship. Those were the the three years that they walked beside Jesus. And then there was service. And you know, before they started to serve, they spent time with Jesus first. Getting to know his heart. Getting to know what was important to Jesus. Getting to sense his direction. And then once they started to get it, what Jesus was saying, they started to serve in areas that required a certain level of spiritual maturity. And I look back over the years and, and uh, I realize that, that, that I have put people in places of leadership before they were ready. I regret, I regret that remember a particular gentleman I, I put into a place of responsibility before he had walked with the Lord long enough. And it hurt him. It set him back. And it, it caused him to step out of church for a period of time because he wasn't able to handle all the things that were coming his way. And so these men walked with Jesus. They got his heart. They knew what he wanted. They still had a hard enough time we can get so service-oriented that we don't have the time to stop and be with Jesus and know his heart. It's just one task after another. Let's just, keep, let's just keep doing things. And Jesus said to Martha, remember? My dear Martha, you were worried and upset about all the details. You get so upset about all these things. I'm excited for the role that Pastor Norb and Ann have in discipleship ministry. Uh... You're going to see some things unfolding in the coming days and weeks. Uh, You'll see some of them in the Sunday news already. And, And bottom line is the desire that we will become faithful students, faithful learners, and faithful apprentices. So that as we go on our way in the midst of doing life together, we're growing in our understanding of what it means to live in the kingdom of God on this earth to be kingdom-minded people on the planet. And I love it when Mark tells us that Jesus wanted these men. Verse 13, he called out the ones he wanted to go with him. That verb wanted tells us the Lord's desire is a solid fact. Jesus has continually been wanting these men and it's Jesus himself who wants them. The verb wanted is strong here. He tells us Jesus wished to have these men. He wanted to have them on his team. He desired each one. He preferred these men men, and he had them continually in mind. So keep an eye open for people in your life that you might be open to and they might be open to having you pour your life into Ask the Lord for who you might want to invest in. Ask the Lord for maybe somebody who would invest in your life. Ask the Lord uh, for somebody that could come alongside of you. Or maybe you spot a, a faithful man or woman or young person and you have a sense that they're open to grow and mature. And you're close by and you could build into their lives. A disciple, what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner, a disciple is a student, a disciple is an apprentice, a disciple is a practitioner, even if only a beginner in their Christian spiritual journey. And disciples of Jesus are people who do not just hold certain biblical beliefs, but they apply their growing understanding of life in the kingdom to every aspect of their life on this earth. They're constantly applying it. A disciple is constantly looking at his world and saying, God, what does it mean for me to be your follower? In the year 2010, a Stradivarius violin sold for $3.6 million. Can you believe it? It's believed there are only around 500 of them still in existence. Uh, The sound of the Stradivarius is incredible for the musically trained ear. But no one has been able to replicate Antonio Stradivari's craftsmanship. He apparently had some unique approach to constructing violins. He did it like nobody else could do it. But he never wrote it down. He never put it on paper what was so unique in producing this quality of musical instrument? Instead, he passed on his knowledge to a number of his apprentices through what one scholar called elbow learning. The apprentices of the great Stradivari didn't learn their craft from books or manuals, but by sitting at his elbow and feeling the wood as he felt it to assess its length and its balance and its timber right there in their fingertips. All the learning happened at his elbow. And all the knowledge was contained in his fingertips. I wonder who you automatically have at your elbow these days. Your kids, if you have kids, are apprenticing under you. They're just naturally at your elbow. For many hours during the day as you as you notice uh, the time goes on though and gradually uh, you have less time with them and little by little they grow up uh, it's called the independent process. My neighbor said to me uh, just the other day my, my daughter is getting older and for some reason she will listen to everyone else but she won't listen to me and she said I could tell her the same thing I hear her ask somebody a a question and I say in my heart, I know the answer to that. I could tell you the answer to that. Why don't you ask me? And we know it's a little thing called independence. But whatever time you have in your home, it's built in. And aren't you glad for other people in the family of God who take an interest, who come alongside, and who help you in the discipling role? And maybe for some, that just needs to be your prayer, Lord, may there be someone who would walk with my daughter, may there be someone who would walk with my son, or my husband, or my wife, or with me. And you have colleagues, by the way, perhaps who are at your elbow. You have people in your circle of friends who are at your elbow. Hmm. Is it possible that some apprenticing might be happening or could happen with the people who are close by at your elbow? And then the major evidence of a disciple. The, the first, just to go back, the first and final call of Jesus was to make disciples. I mean, that's the major action word of, of Matthew 28. And then in Mark chapter 4 or 3, we see a process of Jesus calling his disciples... And beginning to bring them alongside and pour into their hearts and, and their minds and their lives. And then you begin to see the results of how all of this plays out in regards to this, the kind of disciples who changed the world. So come with me to Acts chapter 4, which says uh, the disciples uh, filled with the Holy Spirit were, were being powerfully used. And they were, they were making everybody a little bit nervous especially if you were from the religious structure of the day. These new followers of Christ were were upsetting everybody and things were getting pretty heavy. And the Sanhedrin was called together, the Council of Elders and Teachers of the Law, and they were watching this, this explosion of the Christian faith into their world. And they were getting madder by the moment. And they brought in two disciples, and there's the name disciples, and they demanded by what power or in whose name do you do this?" (laughs) And Peter said, Are you mad about someone getting healed? Are you mad about someone doing good deeds? This man was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. But would you look at verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Isn't it interesting the language that is used? They didn't say, this man's Peter, we know him, he's got a Galilean accent, we've had our spies watching him, this guy over here is John, we've been watching him too. No, they looked at them and said, these are Jesus men. These are the guys that have been with Jesus. And can't you just imagine a little smile in heaven right about that time? The smile of Jesus? Yeah. These are my men. These are my men. My plan is working. These men have been discipled. What really marks their lives is that they look like Christ. And they they act like Christ. We're all on a journey, friends. No one has arrived. We are becoming disciples. And at the same time, we're challenged to make disciples. I could wish that all of us who are impacted by the ministry of TCC would really become disciples and make disciples. And there's no way to gauge how all of that's happening, but we are growing and we are challenged to find ways to keep growing. I hope I can quote my wife. I didn't ask you this morning. <laughs> my wife said, what are you preaching on on Sunday? And I said, apprenticing? Discipleship? She said, well, isn't that really the Holy Spirit who makes disciples? Isn't it the Holy Spirit who makes disciples? And, and that's a great point. But there seems to be a process through which the Holy Spirit works. He works through people. He works through coming alongside of people. So as you're going along, the Holy Spirit will use you to make disciples. He will use you as you intersect with someone else. We're on a journey. What an important step for us to grow discontent with the mediocre Christianity Christians and move in the direction of being Jesus people. These men have been with Jesus. Can it get any better than that? To describe a follower that they've been with Jesus. These are the people, these are the guys that have been with Jesus. Wouldn't it be awesome to arrive at a point where we realize that our treasure, our financial status, all of our lives are not our own, but we belong to Christ? Wouldn't it be awesome to come to the point where we can say with the lady, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ very skillfully disguised as a Business administrator at the university. Oh, yeah. The evidence of who we are is the fact that we are integrated into our world as taxi cab drivers, as teachers, as architects, as computer analysts, as moms and dads. We know our mission, and wherever God has put us, we know that God has us completely there. We're disciples of Jesus. We look like him. And people know that we've been with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. We invite you, Lord Jesus, to make clear to each one of us what our next steps might be. Help us to hear you today. Help us to wrestle with this as we try to integrate it. Give us some steps that we can take. And as we're going along this week, help us to see what you see. Help us to see the people you see. Help us to invest where you want us to invest. And help us to carefully integrate who you are into the rest of our lives.